Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode in season three of the Real Estate Rundown. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And if you guys will do me a favor, hit the like button, subscribe, uh, grab the bell, make sure that you know where you get your podcast, leave us a review, do all those kinds of things. Because here at the Real Estate Rundown, we work really hard to bring you great guests like the one we're bringing to you right now that really help you get your real estate knowledge on. And guys, you can't know enough. So today I brought in a guy that has really been doing a lot in the mortgage space. And right now, everybody's got their eyes focused on mortgage. So I thought it'd be a great time to talk to Kevin Amolsch. Kevin, how are you, man? Yeah, you got it. Good. I'm great, Shannon. Thank you so much for, for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm I'm glad you came, Kevin, because, you know, everybody's looking at where to go for the money right now. And, you know, everybody's starting to come up with these, you know, they're calling them new terms. What's DSCR mean? And they've got all these questions. They've got all these issues. And, you know, you've been doing this a long time. Tell us a little bit about your journey through the mortgage world and everything. Give us some background. And then I'll, I, I got a bunch of questions I want to ask you and I'm fired up for it. Yeah, I'm excited to go, to go through this with you. Um, so we're, we're really in the hard money lending space. Um, so I can talk about DSCR. I understand it pretty well. Conventional loans, maybe not quite as much. Um, but how did I get here? I started investing in real estate when I was 21. I had just turned 21. I bought my first property, moved into it, had some roommates, did the, did the college life, right? And then moved out of it. And I kept it as a rental property. That first tenant was a disaster, by the way. But Aren't they I all? did learn. Yeah, I mean, first tenant, first, first tenant, eviction, right? first yeah. in cockroach infestation, yeah. first <laughs> abandoned vehicle. It was it was crazy. Um, but I learned in that process that you know real estate really can make you rich. In fact, it's one of very few um, vehicles that is guaranteed to do that if you're in it for the long run and you're doing the right things. So I decided to to focus in on real estate investing and to, to, to build my wealth. And I started buying one or two houses every single month while I was in college, while I was still working. I mean, I'm calling motivated sellers on the phone as I'm walking between classrooms. Wait, but wait, what I loved, did you say you were buying one or two houses a month? A month, yep. Yep, that's how I got my start. But here's, here's wait, the thing, Wait, Shannon. you're in college. I was in college. You're not, you're I, have not, a, I have any money, well, so I have what, any credit. What were you buying the houses with? I was using owner financing. Okay. I was using owner financing. So I fell in love with the financing side of real estate. So if I'm going to sit down with a seller and negotiate a deal with them, yep. how I structure that offer has everything to do with how I'm going to fund it. Yep. So I just learned that I need to really focus on the financing side of it. And so I started raising private capital to loan out to other real estate investors. I just moved myself from the investor, which I actually still do quite a bit of, but I moved into the direction of the funding side of the business, started raising capital in 2006, 2008 hit, 
my partner and I decided to split. She likes to teach real estate. I like to do deals. So I started this company, Pine Financial, in 2008, and it's been a fun ride since then. So I'm glad you clarified that too, because, you know, it was funny. Uh, everybody forgot about owner financing in 2021 and 2022, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything Why would you? And there's 3% money. Yeah. And there's 3% money and it's hard to make that work. And I don't know a whole lot of homeowners that like the idea of 3% return, right? Yeah. Uh, and letting you have control of their asset. But it's starting to become very popular again because interest rates are up, but it's also a great space for what you do, which you called it hard money. And explain to us a little bit about the difference of why do we call it hard money when it's always easier to get than the yeah. bank, loan, which that should be called hard money because it's a pain to get a bank loan. They want to know, you know, they want to copy your dental records. They want to inspect your sock drawer. They want to go. Why, why are you guys called the hard money? Uh, you cracked me up, you know, and you know, the, the term hard money actually has a bad rap, you know, and the, and the industry, I don't mind it at all. I mean, I've, I've been doing it for 17 years, so I, I guess I kind of got used to the term, but the industry as a whole is trying to change that. They don't want it to be called hard money. They want it to be called like private money now. So you're going to start seeing a shift, I think, from the hard money to private money. It's all the same thing. The right. reason to answer your question, the reason they call it hard money is because it's secured by hard assets. The asset itself has far more uh, weight than the borrower or the guarantor on the loan. Right. If we can see that you can pay us back by flipping the house or refinancing it once it's stabilized, then we're we're interested in doing the deal with you. We don't we don't care so much about uh, as much about credit reports and income and, and that kind of thing. So, it, and that's where it, it seems kind of funny because the banks will give you they put a lot of weight in your ability to repay because they're financing a higher loan to value, higher leverage point maybe uh, for a longer period of time where you're coming in for a shorter duration. It's, you know, hey, we're taking this, you know, we're buying this house for 200 grand. We're throwing hundred grand into it. Uh, our after repair value is gonna be 500. Everybody can see where we're going on that and we can do the deal. Um, and that's not something that banks can move fast enough to do. But, you know, and, and, and Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, none of us are getting any more time on this planet. So I've always wondered why you would want to spend your time trying to get a loan from Washington Federal or from, you know, U.S. Bank when time is money. And, um, you know, even in all of my construction stuff, uh, we, use, uh, we use companies that can fund uh, my construction deals in two to three weeks and yeah. might pay. Uh, I might pay one or 2% more interest. Uh, I might pay another point on my loan origination, but my time is valuable. My asset moving or not moving is valuable. My product getting built is valuable. And we see windows open and close all the time as far as when you're bringing stuff to market. So really, the, the, to me, the the longer I do this game, the less I see that there's a reason why you can't and shouldn't do the fastest money you can do because of what it saves you on your project as a whole. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to that. Absolutely. I agree with you. Now I, I do also believe that there's a place for bank money too, and conventional money and every funding source has its place in the tool belt of the real estate investor. Yeah. Hard money, it just fits one niche that can help you be successful. 
So I'll give you an example here. Uh, in the hard money space, we use what we call common sense. <laughs> they don't use that in banking. No, so they don't. We don't. We don't force you to to fit into this little tight box. If you could figure out a way that it's going to be a safe loan for us and you can make money, we want to do the deal. So let me. The, the example I want to give you is we base our loan amount on an after repaired value, or in the commercial world, a stabilized value. Right. What's it's worth when it's performing? Once it's done. And then we're going to base our loan amount on that. Now, you said a low leverage. It is. It's 70% in most cases of that ARV. But in your example of $200,000 purchase, $100,000 in construction, we would fund all $300,000 because we're still under the 70% of the ARV. So really, it's a 100% LTC loan to cost ratio loan, which you're never going to find in a bank. No. And that's where, you know, when you really look at at how, uh, you know, and I agree with you to back up on that first statement, you know, there is there is a place and and you really wouldn't want to to, to take one of yours, you know, one of your loans for 30 years, because that would be quite expensive unless it was the 70s. And then it would be some of the cheapest money <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> comparatively. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it is asset based. It is quick. It, it, it's, it, it does those kinds of things. And when you're really looking at what you can get done and how your leverage makes leverage, you know, that's the thing that I look at. I look at leveraging my time. I look at leveraging my yeah. money, you know, and if I can have five or six or seven people working for me that can help me do more in a day, then I can do the same thing with my projects. Because if I've got to go 70% loan to cost, on a deal, well, there's 30% capital I got to come up right. with. Right. Or if I could maybe I pay a little bit more, but I could go 100% loan to cost, 70% loan to value, and do three deals. Now I'm money ahead and I've leveraged my experience. I've leveraged my relationship with you to now make me ultimately more money in the same time period. And that's the biggest advantage, Shannon. You're absolutely right. When you leverage, you could do more. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They go, they look at it, they go, oh my gosh, why would you do that? That's expensive. Well, of course it is, right? Mm -hmm. But so are Lamborghinis and they still sell like hotcakes. That's right. There's a time place for cheaper them. than a partner, right? We, I mean, you asked me when I first got on, if I'm a syndicator, well, that, right. they're bringing, typically they're bringing in equity and sharing pieces of the deal. Right. Well, that's very expensive. Yeah. What if you could bring in debt and only pay a flat return and not have to share the deal? Well, and that's and that was that was going to be my next point because you know when we bring when we bring partners to the table, you know everybody wants to make 16, 17, 18%, you know, on a good day, on a bad day, on an any any kind of day they want to know that they're they're assured that position. I know a lot of people that are in the, in the private money space. See what I did there? You're teaching me. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> that are in that private money space that that are less than 18% even with the points and the fees, and they're able to be that good partner because they they do what they're supposed to, right? They show up, they show up when the draws are ready, not before. And they're they're there so that all the profits and the upsides can go to you when you're done. So there's really a definite space for that. When you're looking at, you know, and 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 you guys probably saw more of a disparity between your pricing and bank pricing a year ago than you oh, see yeah. now, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, when 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 the, sure. when the bank was at 3%, where were you guys? We haven't moved. We're at 12%. We have been for years and years and years. We don't, we don't, uh, there's no correlation between us and the normal rates. We look more attractive right now. That's true. 
Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden you're looking pretty good. I need to talk to you, but you know, and, but that's the reality, right? You guys have looked at it from a point that we're looking for a return on our money. And this is what that return looks like. That's what we're willing to do. That's what makes it work for ourselves. That's what makes it work for our investors. So this is our protocol. This is what we're going to have as our modus operandi. And from there, when it drops to 3%, I guess you could trade your time for money. But now that you're looking at it right now, it, it looks pretty good. Yeah. And well, it's all, it's, yeah, you're right. It's math. So you trade your time for money. That's a great way to look at that. But it's also math, right? I mean, you want to put in 30% plus fund to the construction or however that math works on a bank loan. Right. Um, or do you want to get 100% do two deals? And then which one's going to make you more money? Right. Well, and that's where a lot of people, they, they fail to see the value of that relationship of that lendability, right? Uh, you know, I know that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, but in your world, relationship means a lot oh, yeah. more than it does at Bank of the West or, you know, you know, farmers and merchants or, you know, first interstate, they, they look at your credit score and they, you know, they look at this and, you know, God forbid if it's Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they really don't care who you are. Whereas, you know, if we've done two or three or four deals together, uh, it sure makes it a lot easier because yes, you're underwriting the asset, but you're also looking at it going, gosh, I've got a successful partnership here. We keep clicking this thing like a coupon. It's working well for both parties. And it it changes how you guys view your borrowers, right? Oh my gosh, it is so accurate that you say that. And that's one of the things that does not come up very often is how powerful that relationship is. Like you're going to trip and fall sometimes. We all do. And if you have a, a good relationship with the borrower or the lender um, and you can work together through that issue, um, that's what you're looking for. You're, you're talking about the banks or Fannie Mae and, and they're looking at you like a number. Do you think that they're going to subordinate to a, a, a new loan to come in and help you finish a project or defer payments or any number of other workout solutions that might be on the table to get you through your project. Right. Probably not. You know, and, and, and that's, and, and that's the other thing too. When you, when you look at private money, we, we talk about time, right? We talk about speed to, to walk me through the process of what it takes. If I'm coming to you and I say, Hey, listen, I got a, I got a $3 million warehouse that needs a little love and needs some tenants. And, you know, it's just right now, it's just, it's just vacant and lonely. I don't want to buy it. <clears throat> I think the value's there. We can establish that. What does that timeline look like before you and I can go to the closing table and we can fund on that thing? Yeah, so it, it, we still need an appraisal on something like that. So if we're going to get a do a, a warehouse and let's say you're going from like big box to small bay, we're seeing a lot of that right now. Um, that, that's how, one way that our clients are adding value. Um, yep. So this, we're going to get an appraisal based on, okay, a small bay, you know, 5,000 square foot suites or whatever it is. And what is that thing going to do? How is that going to perform? Uh, so we need that professional appraiser's opinion. That's what slows us down the most, Shannon. So we're probably looking at three, four weeks to get that report back. And then we can close within a couple of days after that. Um, but we, that's assuming all the environmentals and everything are clean and back and all of that. So, but you're still, I mean, you know, we're if we're doing something like that with a, with a banking institution, you know, we're going to get a commitment letter, right. Then we're going to go out for all of our third parties. So we're going to be four weeks and then they're going to take it to loan committee. And that's going to be another two weeks. And then somebody's going to have 
you know, a kid that couldn't go to school. So they're going to have to go back to loan committee after four or five more questions gets answered. And in 90 days, you're going to be able to close. You sound like you've been through this before. Uh, do I look like it? <laughs> I said, you know, I, look, I said, sound just sounds like, you've been through this and, before. but you know, it I mean, it's great. But but lending feels like getting drugged through a knothole backwards, totally. right? I mean, I just closed a, uh, I just closed a fifteen million dollar loan. They closed sixty six days late, sixty six wow. days. They promised me, promised me, they would have this thing done over two months prior, and we just kept needing another thing. And then somebody wasn't there, and the committee didn't meet this weekend because yeah. it was Thanksgiving. And I'm like, guys, plan ahead. You know, I mean, we've got things to do. And so in this whole process, the four month process took six months to get this thing done. And the reality is what you're talking about was done in the first couple of weeks of this six month process. Right. So yeah, and sometimes I we'll close that, early and get the appraisal after. I mean, we could be flexible. Yeah, well, especially if we're probably talking about something like the scenario that we talked about, right, where it's two hundred thousand uh, dollars to purchase it with a hundred thousand dollars in in necessary repairs on a five hundred thousand dollar ARV, we can kind of ballpark that close. Know that we're going to get their ARV, and you're going to know how much rehab money I got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly right. But That's see, that kind right. of flexibility, that kind of flexibility, obviously doesn't show up the first time we meet. Right. That's comes from the relationship and going, Hey, you know, I've watched this Shannon character do this three or four times and it always works out really good. And he's always close to his timeline. He's getting things done and his houses sell real quick. Once he's got them redone, gosh, I really like this guy. Let's be flexible with him because he's obviously got the moxie and the chops to keep doing this. That's exactly right. And the thing that, that I love about that model and you probably do too, is your, your customer acquisition costs goes way down. Because I'm staying with you because I'm loyal because I'm getting taken care of. This this whole thing, Kevin, you 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 remember very well uh, being on the other side, and you're obviously giving it to your people. It's called customer service. That's right. The Wells Fargo, they 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 don't even know what it means, right? And yes, I do mean that with about exactly Wells Fargo because they you know they forget that the customer is why they're in business, but that is why you're in business. Without customers, without customer service. You don't really have a whole lot to offer that's different than the other guy, other than the flexibility, the, the the timelines, all the different things you can do. But isn't that really what I'm paying for when I'm paying 12% knowing I can close quick and I can get a deal and I can, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what to add on to that, Shannon, because everything you're saying is exactly right. Um, when I was listening to you speak, and about the bankers and how they don't always tell you the truth. They just try to get you in the door and then they could drag you through what you went through. I see it all the time. Um, you might remember this. Back back in the day, there was um, a, a gentleman by the name of Alan Greenspan. Uh, Do you remember that name? Oh, yes. Yeah. And so they coined, because he would never tell you the truth or be transparent with you. So they coined Greenspan speak. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. So now we have bankers speak. Yeah, you totally do. So here's another question for you. If we know that we're going to do this and, and you're going to be able to do what you say you're going to do, when we come down to that and we've got a term sheet, 
what happens after the term sheet's done? I mean, we, we I've showed you my deal, $200,000 to buy it, $100,000 to do it. I say my ARV is going to be five hundred. dollars We got a term sheet. Do we, what happens next? So in the normal scenario, now we can go outside the box as we're talking about the, the benefit here is flexibility, but normally we do want to get an appraisal. Um, sometimes we pledge these loans. Sometimes we sell these loans off to other investors and, and they want the appraisal. So we get that. Um, we get the term sheet out fairly quickly, but then we got to do the rest of the diligence. So we're going to collect the, the appraisal, obviously. Um, we want to get a file on the guarantor. Now, we don't qualify loans based on income, but we do want to document that. That's for the regulations we get audited. Um, so we get tax return, we get a most recent bank statement, and then we pull a credit report. So basics, just the basic stuff. Uh, but we can get that whole file put together before that appraisal comes back. And, and on the residential side, we close a day after the appraisal. So we get the appraisal in. Figures go to title, and next day you're walking in with the with the pen to sign it. So <clears throat> this all sounds really good, but I want to kind of flip the script and I want to go behind your desk. So you said you are lending private money, right? That means that it's not all your money. That's just the way we. So we're we have about a hundred and forty million dollars out right now uh, under management. Um, I think I put this in the bio, about 2,500 deals we've closed. Right. And there's no way I would be able to do that with my, my own cash. So we, we absolutely bring in private capital from investors. I'm super proud of this, Shannon. We had a, we had a Reg A, which is a public fund approved by the SEC. So now we're allowed to offer publicly our investment and we're allowed to tell you an interest rate that we could pay. At. And the best part is there's no accredited versus non-accredited restrictions. So Pretty much everybody is welcome, um, and it's a it pays out every single month, and it's it's been a really good thing for our business and our investors. So, really, what you've done, Kevin, is you've taken somebody else's, you've taken my opportunity, and you've turned it into John Smith's annuity. You've turned it into John Smith's steady cash flow, Sally. Uh, Anderson is able to invest money with you and count on a, a return every month. So you've really put yourself in a position where you're offering options on both ends of this transaction. Yeah. And in fact, how I got started in the private lending space was one gentleman with $100,000. And I, he says, I want to put that into a note. So fantastic. I went to the real estate and uh, the real estate uh, brokers sales meeting. And you know where they try to sling their listings. Oh, yeah. And I got up in front of the room and I said, I got a hundred grand. I want to invest in someone's project. If you know of any fix and flips, let me know. That afternoon, someone called me. I brokered the $100,000 money to a real estate investor and I charged a little fee. That's how this whole thing started. Right. The feedback was, well, I don't, I'm not diversified if I do that. It's not liquid. What if I want my money back? Uh, I don't have a hundred. I only have 25,000. So how do I solve all of those obstacles? Well, that's where we created our first mortgage fund. It was a public fund. Oh, I'm sorry, private fund then. Um, that was in 2009. Um, so yeah, we we really just sandwich ourselves between private investors wanting to earn a return and real estate investors that are out there doing projects. So the the beauty of that is when when you're doing this, Sally and Sam and John and all the people that are invested in your fund, they're technically in first position on the real estate. Yeah, that's right. Everything so, we do is secured by real estate. Exactly. So the reality is it doesn't really get a whole lot safer than that. 
I mean, you loan me money. I'm doing my deal. I say something wrong to the missus. I'm, I'm out of the picture, right? You guys get the asset. That's right. You're at 70% loan to value. You've got some room in there. You can take it over, but there's no question about who the lien holder is because you're on the title. That's right. And, you know, I get the feedback a lot. Well, how do I know this isn't a Ponzi scheme? I'm actually watching the Bernie Madoff Netflix special right now. And I'm like, I could see why people freak that's out sick. about this. That's like that's like feeding hamburger to cows. Come on. You don't need, <laughs> you know, but the reality, <laughs> they fell for that. Right. And so people are asking that legitimate question. It is legitimate. I can totally understand what the concern there. The difference is real estate is transparent. There's the most transparent asset you could have. I could grab my phone here, Shannon, and tell you what properties you own and how much you owe on. Right. right? I could do, I could look that up right now. And so you said to be on title that you hit it right on the head. We could provide a list of our loans. You could reconcile it to what we're, we're saying the assets are. And then you can go out and look up publicly that we are the lien holders on every single one of those properties. And if you want, you could drive over to the house and touch it. It's so there. So let's talk about the liquidity issue. You touched on that for just a minute. Yeah. So when you did that first deal, the gentleman that had the 100000 doesn't necessarily have liquidity until the gentleman using the money is done. Right. How did that work with your fund? What kind of liquidity options do you have? Because I know as a syndicator, when you come to me and you, and you invest with me as, in one of my deals, you're in. That's right. right. And that is going to go its cycle. We hope we have a we have a PPM that says we think we're going to be, you know, four to six years on this deal. We might be sooner, might be longer, but we hope and you're in with us. And that's just where you're at. What's the difference between that and a fund and that and the first guy you brokered for? Well, that's a, that's a trade-off. So in a syndication like you're offering, you're going to get a higher return, right? But then you don't have that liquidity. And there's always the risk of capital calls. I've invested in two different syndications where we've had capital calls and I had to inject extra capital. So there's always that risk when you're talking about single purpose syndication, like I'm assuming you're talking about. Yeah. Um, as far as the liquidity on the, on the debt side, if it's an individual single note, it's not liquid. Now, I will get people that will argue with me on that and push back. Now, can you sell the note? Absolutely, you can sell the note, but you're not going to sell it at par value. People don't pay par value for notes. You're going to have to discount that to get rid of it. Um, so that's right. why I'm saying it's not liquid. Now, in the fund, in the public fund right now, we have about 50 million in this one specific fund. So that's enough loans coming in and going out and coming in and going out. That helps create the liquidity. So when a capital ret a return of capital um, comes in or a call comes in, uh, it goes into a queue, and then once we get through our pipeline and we have another loan payoff, then we return the funds. So, so it's not like a checking account. I can't just give it back to you the very same day. I, we would be making no money if I invested in at a bank at 1% and paid you 8 right? So right. I have to put it out there in loans. Right. So there's a, there's a little bit of a delay, but there's no lockup period and no penalties to get the money back out. But I could, I could get my – I'm sure your documents state that it's a 60 or a 90-day notice or whatever 90, like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's probably more for than anything just so that, you know, if you, if you needed to, they caught you at absolutely the worst time and you needed to go raise more capital because you're constantly in the capital raising game. For sure. Yeah, we I have mean, 140 way more demands for money than I have money. There's no question. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's what you always find, right? As soon as you figure out what your niche is in the real estate space, you'll have more of that than, yeah. you know, you, you'll, you'll, 
you're always constrained by what else is in there. But, you know, and, and I think that that's an important thing that people need to understand is that your portfolio is being managed by professionals and you're, you know, you've got money coming in and you've got money going out and you've got auditing on your books and you've got accounting and you've got, you know, third party transparency and all this kind of stuff that I don't have to worry about. Right. That's right. And I have a 90 day liquidity time frame at the worst. That's right. And I know that I'm invested in real assets and I know that those assets were appraised. That's right. See, am I forgetting anything here that really... <laughs> I'm trying to find where's the downside in all of this, right? But that's really the solid part about being in lending, right? Being in that fund space that says, and I said, I did say fund space that you are in that first position because you might be the co-pilot, but you're really driving when, when it gets really rough. If you have to, you have that ability, you've got those, those uh, repossession rights and all that stuff that's in your typical loan documents. So it really works out well from a safety perspective. Yeah, and we require monthly payments. I think requiring payments from our borrowers is tremendous. It's tremendously beneficial for us and them. Not, for us, we know if there's a problem, you know, within one month because the payment's not made, then it provides it gives them pressure to get through the projects faster. So we require monthly payments, and that enables us to pay monthly. So in, right. a syndic- in a syndication type of deal, especially if it's a repositioning or some type of value add, yep. you're not going to get payments out of the gate. It's going to have to, it's going to be a little while until that's uh, repositioned or stabilized before you can start paying your investors, I assume. Right. This right. is day one, you start getting your check every single month. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. So I'm assuming that you offer a fixed rate to your investors. Uh, so there's no accounting needing to be done. You just know that I threw in a hundred grand and here's my check every month because I'm getting a, a fixed percent on that. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And you can reinvest it. A lot of our investors, especially IRAs, self-directed IRAs, yeah. they want to reinvest their interest. So it compounds, yep. you know, the, the eighth wonder of the world compound interest, right? right? So exactly. we're seeing quite a bit of that as well, but either one, uh, just know that there's a distribution that comes out every single month. So, Really, I mean, and, and I've done, you know, we, we've done a lot of, of things here with, uh, you know, private funding and owner carry and all this kind of stuff. And it's always been something to me that has always really surprised me how many people who are okay with a six or a seven or an 8% return don't explore this option, right? Right. Because where else do you go to get that? We were just talking about that in the office yesterday. Where do you go to get that? Yeah. Well, you can't, number one. Uh, You can, but you got to go work for it, right? I mean, if you're out there buying a single family home, uh, you might get a four, four and a half percent return year one, year two, year three. You know, you're probably tacking it up to probably by year four, about the time the warranty's up and the sink starts leaking and all that kind of stuff, you're up to about a 9% cash on cash, right? But even that, you're not going to be in a real strong equity position. You're still the minor partner with the bank. You okay. still have the major amount of work to do, but you're the minor partner. So you came in and you put 20% down on a half a million dollar house. So you got your hundred grand in there. You're making 9% on your hundred grand, but you're a slave to the 400. That's right. And you're taking the risk because you're hey. personally guaranteeing debt, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love real estate. I love real estate. I think people should own rental properties if, if they feel like they can manage that. You, you will get rich. Like we opened this saying, 
if you own properties for long enough, you're going to get rich. Absolutely. But it's a hassle. And so this is just another option. Maybe it's just diversification. Maybe you do both. I, I, I don't know, but I love, I love this business. I love the debt side and the equity side. I love what you're doing. I and that's, stuff. Yeah, but that and that's the beauty of it, right? So I can then diversify inside real estate and be very diversified, right? Okay. I mean, so I can take some debt and I go, hey, man, I'm in first position on that. So I'm good and solid right there. I'll go with an LP position over here in a syndication, you know, so I, I have some more risk and I've got some more upside and I got some depreciation because from a tax perspective, if I'm investing in your fund, I get none of the benefits of real estate because that's I right. am the lender, Right. Yeah, you're you're making money. That's it. No tax benefits there. None of the tax benefits. And so, uh, so I have I have a very fixed obligation. I have a very fixed return, but I also have a very fixed expectation. Right. I, I'm I'm here until one of us doesn't want to do this anymore. Right. Okay. Pretty boring, right? But <laughs> yeah, well, boring you know, makes you wealthy. I tell you what, boring can be very good because it's the exciting stuff. I've never seen people not get excited when they lose money. Right. They're very agitated, excited, but they're very excited. But it, it's the other way around when it's when it's just on autopilot and the funds are coming in. That's the part that you are able to then kind of do what Chef Tony says and set it and forget it. Right. And yeah. know that you're going to be getting paid every month and can go live your life. Right. Yeah. The fun part of, about the boring investment is you can put your head on that pillow at night and go to sleep. You're not worrying about it. And you could continue to make money while you're, you know, drinking your margarita on the beach in Mexico. Exactly. Exactly. So let's, let's turn this again. You wrote a book yeah, called yeah. 45 day investor. Yeah. Give us a, give us the cliff notes. Why, why does it only take 45 days to be an investor? Uh, that's uh that's the one that I can find a domain for that, that made sense. Now you could buy a property much faster than 45 days. So Peeling back the curtain here a little bit, Shannon, it was because of the domain 45 Day Investor was available. Um, that's why I called the book that. But that is was supposed to be an autobiography of how I went through my career early on to start buying one or two houses every month without any cash or credit. Um, I kept getting asked the same questions. Well, how are you doing it? How are you doing it? How are you doing it? Well, I started writing the book and I'm not, I wasn't an author. So I just kind of started writing and it turned out not to be a biography at all. It's more of a how-to. So now there's scripts in there to use. There's the forms that you need to use. There's exact strategies on how to find the motivated sellers. I really tried to make it so someone could pick it up and literally go out there and do a deal. Um, and that's hard to do in a book, but that's I, I took the best shot I could at doing that. So really what that what that means is if I if I'm looking to, I'm not wanting to be a wholesaler. I'm not wanting to be one of those people. I'm actually looking to do a... Uh, a owner carry type of a, a deal. This, I can read the book. Everything I need is there. And in 45 days, if I follow what you're doing, I can 45 days or less, I can get it done. That's right. That's exactly right. And no cash, no credit. You only say that because you did it how many times? Well, I, I did over 200 of these owner financing deals. Now this specific strategy in the book we're talking about is the lease option. And that's because it's the easiest one for newer investors to get going with. I really believe that you'll have the confidence to at least explain it to a motivated seller after reading the book. Um, but I started getting into more of the subject two type of financing. And I don't know how much your listeners know about that. We could talk about it, but uh, I kind of migrated from these options to more complicated strategies as I went through my career. 
You know, to, but but having done 200 single family transactions enough yeah. to drive anybody to insanity. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, especially in 2008. Oh, that was crazy. My hat my hat is off to you on on how you did that, um, because that's I mean, that in and of itself is is quite the feat um, to get that done. I don't think I've done 200 transactions. Uh, pretty sure I, I haven't done 200 transactions. But uh, so so what is it that when, when people are looking at the difference between your fund and some of the others, what are the distinctions that people should be looking at? Obviously, you're a reg A. Uh, so you've, you know, you've had the uh, SEC colonoscopy, you've been checked out top to bottom, right? I mean, that's not an easy feat. So th- what else is there that's different between your fund and others and how that comes about? Yeah, so there's a lot of debt funds out there, Shannon, and, and each one's going to have their own little twists to it. Um, you know, there's one I'm thinking of right now, one of our competitors that doesn't don't require don't require credit reports on their borrowers. And I think that's a huge mistake. Um, there's others that don't require appraisals or they have lax valuation processes. So what I would say is dig into default rates, dig into underwriting guidelines. Obviously, you want to dig into management. So Google the managers and the sponsors. Do they have, do they have any, any uh, skeletons that you could find? Those are the types of things I'd be looking for. Um, because look, you, c- capital preservation is number one. Now, the 8% return is fantastic, but not if you make it for two or three years and lose everything. Right. You really want to make sure that you're investing in a fund that's going to protect your capital. Right. And, you know, some funds offer variable returns. Yours- yeah, in fact, our first one was a PREF with the upside. Yeah. And then we, now we're, we're a flat 8%. So now it's, you just know what you're going to get. But we, we keep the upside. The spread is, is profit for the company now. But sure. when we're first starting, yeah, 8 PREF and management fee, then everything else goes, goes back to the owner. So there's all different kinds of ways that yeah. this can be structured. Yeah. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you coming in and shedding so much light on the difference. And I really do like the term private money because it does not make it sound uh, because, I mean, you know, like we discussed earlier, I think you should guys should be called easy money, not hard money, because you're a lot easier to get along with. Um, But, you know, the other thing, and I want to, I want to offer this to our investors is you have a you, you, you have a call to action for our audience uh, of, of a report that you've got. Tell us a little bit about what they can get the, uh, the, this report of yours. So there's actually two reports at thepinereport.com. The first one is if you're interested in being a debt investor, but you don't want to go into a fund, maybe you want to charge some fees to the borrower. We charge fees to our borrower also. So right. we make a spread on the 8% compared to the 12, and we charge fees that we retain. So pretty profitable business model. Um, if you're interested in doing that on your own, I would encourage you to read the report on private lending because there's mistakes I see investors make and I don't want to see anyone get hurt. I get right. phone calls sometimes uh, and I want to help. Like they ask me to help them get them out of a jam. But sometimes when you're you're in a jam, you can't get out of that. So it's right. just better to not get yourself into that. So I wrote the report to try to help people on that. And then I also re- wrote a report on the economy um, because I sure like you do get questioned all the time. Even we, before you hit record, we were talking about it. Like what's yeah. going on in the market? Where is things going? How do I prepare? What's the opportunities? And I compared 1990 and the housing crash of 90 to today because it resembles far more the 90s than it does the 2008 crash. 
Yeah. In fact, there's no resemblance between those two. Um, yeah. So I I compared the 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 recession that I feel is more similar to what we're going through today to try to predict and help investors out. So both of those reports absolutely free on awesome. the pirateport.com. You go there, you figure that out. Also, uh, if you guys want more information, that is where you're going to find them. So, Kevin, I want to thank you again for stopping by the Real Estate Rundown and sharing with me what really is going on in the private money world and why both sides of that are very, very lucrative and very beneficial for investors. So thanks again for stopping by. Sean, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. I appreciate your knowledge too, my friend, because it's not every day that we get to have somebody pull back a $140 million curtain and look inside and see what's going on inside of a fund. And guys, I'm here to tell you that if you're looking for these things, like Kevin said, you're going to want to check out how they do what they do, when they do what they do, your liquidity in and out, but they can be some of the best things to do in real estate, especially in times just like this, where we find ourselves in chopping water and not really knowing where to go, but you can't afford to let your money sit in the bank and get eaten by inflation. So guys, thanks for stopping by the Real Estate Rundown. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Tune in. And as always, like and subscribe where you get your podcasts and keep us at the top of your playlist. We'll talk to you guys next time. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnett.com and be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode. Amen.